Adam Chartoff. It is Friday, May 8th, 2020. This is episode 611, and um, I hope this finds you well. I am still sequestered here, still in quarantine, figuring certain things out as you go. Uh, you know, when it comes to the podcast now, I'm kind of doing everything remotely at this stage. Even the, one of these upcoming epi- uh, segments that are on this episode, it was pre-quarantine, pre-pandemic, but the filmmaker was in Europe at the time in Greece, and so we did the conversation remotely regardless. But I'm finding all the ways to record and get nice results. So like some of the upcoming episodes will be somebody recording their side and then sending me the audio, or sometimes now I'm using a new tool called Zencaster, which I just found, which is wonderful. And also, of course, Zoom. There's different ways to do it. It's... it's results are pretty good you know they're uh, always better when you're sitting across the table from somebody but at the same time this works out pretty well i'd say for instance i just got off the phone with mark cousins uh, he is uh, a filmmaker out of edinburgh scotland and uh, what a what a profoundly great experience and you know we can see each other on zoom so it really does work out really well uh, in in many cases so i'm i'm i've adapted to this you know so uh, anyway these two uh, conversations you're about to hear were indeed both done remotely. Uh, one was uh, in uh, <clears throat> with Sam Pollard, who is the documentary filmmaker. And uh, I, I, it's weird. Uh, Sam, I love having Sam on the show. But, uh, you know, I what I find is there's always some, except for one case when we were up at the Woodstock Film Festival, but every other time it seems like there's always some little technical glitch. So, for instance, uh, here, majority of the conversation came out fine. We talk about the uh, HBO project that that is currently available for you to watch, Atlanta's Missing and Murdered, The Lost Children, which is, I, I, I'm not sure if you can watch it without a subscription. I know there's a certain amount of content. I doubt this is amongst it. But uh, anyway, but well, there's always some sort of technical problem. The first time I sat with Sam, I was at NYU. And I remember I had left my equipment somewhere. I was crazy. So we, we did it on the, on the, on the iPhone. Uh, and then just there's usually some sort of problem. Anyway, this time his uh, recording, uh, for some reason, ended early. You know, the, but there's still a good solid uh, conversation there, so uh, which was certainly worth uh, posting. And, and then, um, then there is a subsequent uh, conversation with the filmmaker Luigi Compi. And um, uh, so I'm happy to play those for you today. This first uh, uh, segment with Luigi regarding his film, which is now available on Amazon Prime. It's called My First Kiss and the People Involved. It is about a young person named Sam. She's uh, played by Bobby Salvor Menwes. Now, I do understand that uh, pronoun-wise, I am supposed to stay in the neutral terrain here. So we'll refer to Bobby as they. But Sam's silent world confounds the fellow residents of her group, the character is a female, of her group home. When her only friend goes missing, Sam sets out to find her, uncovering a tale of violence that shatters her fragile reality. The film stars Bobby Salvor, Manuez, Robert Beitzel, and Liza Thorne. And again, directed by Luigi, who I'm glad came into my sphere and I got to see this film. It's available on Amazon Prime. You can watch it right now. And I'm assuming uh, iTunes or Apple Movies and uh, potentially other platforms or on demand. So check it out. Uh, So we're going to go right now into my conversation with Luigi. He's in Athens. I'm in New York, in Brooklyn. And we recorded this conversation just for Film Wax Radio. They need you. Mm-hmm. 
careful now and then. Mm. Sam, is something wrong? You want to talk to me? Uh, yeah, I can hear you very well. I'm all, I'm also all plugged in from here. Uh, how, how's it going? How's your, how's your day? Today is good, thank you. Yeah, it's very quiet in the area because you know it's a big holiday weekend, of course, and uh, so most people are traveling or, or where, whatnot. Uh, where are you? I'm in Brooklyn. Oh, okay, okay. In Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Okay. okay. And where are you? You're in Greece. I'm in uh, Athens, Greece. Yes, the, uh, the Athens. I I've heard of it. Yeah. The, yeah, it's the it's the Williamsburg of Europe. <laughs> are there a lot of uh, uh, Greek hipsters? <laughs> some, some. No, not 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 that many actually. Not that many. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I I imagine not. But um, they've they've been saying that it's the new Berlin somehow. I I haven't I'm seen sure it. I haven't seen it yet, but but that's that's what they say. Maybe they mean culturally art, art, arts, and culture, or something. Yeah, I, I think the I the know. crisis has uh, has brought some uh, some uh, mm. art art migrants. Oh yeah, that makes sense too. Mm -hmm. Right, of course. Luigi Camp is it Campi or Campi? How do you pronounce it? Uh, I say Campi, but uh, Campi. Any pronunciation yeah. is. Uh, well, what does your mother say? Um, my love. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Which is loosely translated from campy, meaning uh, my love. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's what it means. Well, I'm glad we were brought together. It was. It was. Uh, I, first of all, you. Where did you grow up? In Italy, or where did you grow up? Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm from Rome, born and raised. Okay. And uh, I only went to the states when I was, uh, uh, you know, for for film school in my late twenties. And. Uh, and where was that? Um, it was in New York, Columbia. Oh, Colum very good. I've heard of that one. Yeah, <laughs> it's <laughs> that place. And that was undergraduate. Uh, no, no, it was a uh, graduate film school. Okay, already... that makes more sense, I suppose, right? Because yeah. you would have gone to probably uh, a college at uh, or university in Rome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or at least somewhere in Italy. I've been to Rome a few times. It's been a while, but I, I've been there. I love the city. The yeah. people are wonderful. The food is wonderful. The <laughs> And they've got a few sites I've I've heard about as yes. well. Have you seen that that Colosseum thing, that old one? Uh, well, I saw it, but I, I, you know, it looked like it was falling apart. So I'm like, what? What's the point? It's completely renewed now. Oh, good. I mean, I'll come back if they fixed all these ruins. Then I'm I'm willing to come back. If Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So you like us? You like to live among ruins? It, it appears. I uh, well, it's um, it's a familiar Athens? site, let's say. Athens is right. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, actually Athens is um, the very center of Athens. Only is uh, is the more uh, is the older part, with of course the more ancient part up on top right. on the Acropolis. But the rest of the city is a bit more of a uh, a modern decadence, let's say, because uh, it's uh, most of it was built uh, between the thirties and the seventies. A lot of condominiums, a lot of uh, uh, gray buildings that with the unfortunately with the crisis are not in the best are not in, in tip-top shape. shape but uh it definitely has uh, a lot of character and i i really like that actually uh, well uh, uh so what ultimately brought you to athens work i'm a love or migrant. a love yes i'm a love my love originally yeah uh, well that's nice yeah yeah that's the best that's a nice uh, story that's the best reason to be a migrant somehow once again your last name you know it's it makes sense you're you're Yes, someone's love, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think your name would probably be Amori or something like that. But yeah, yeah. that's my that's my middle um, name, as they say. <laughs> it's 
Very good. So wait, now, did you grow up with uh, an appetite for American films? I mean, it, I, I understand why, even if you didn't, it makes practical sense if you can work it out to go to a, you know, Columbia Film School or let's say NYU or maybe one of the ma- major film schools in America. But well, we, were you already... We had this... Uh... We, we had this politician for a few years in Italy called Berlusconi, yes, which I've heard you of. might have heard of. And uh, he didn't a do... A colorful guy. A colorful guy. He didn't do many great things, but uh, he... Uh, one of the few, um, mm-hmm. let's say, good things he did uh, when he, uh, you know, he owned uh, various things, including uh, TV stations, three of the main TV stations, TV channels. And yes. uh, he uh, bought and uh, and transmitted for many years uh, a lot of um, a lot of movies from the states. So right. uh, we got a lot of that. And um, then when I was around sixteen, I got uh, cable this cable TV, and, and some channels were all about showing uh, more art films and stuff like that. And uh, and I kind of fell in love with that. I still remember. The first movie that I watched when I was 16 and that really shocked me was uh, um, Bruno Dumont's uh, *The Life of Jesus*. Oh right. That was my that was my uh, my initiation, my baptism into into weirder films in a way. Quite late. I see. But you were you maybe also in a way. I'm, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but being exposed to world cinema, you could understand the Italian cinema. In, in a broader context and how influential Italian cinema is in a, in a different way, you know? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, although... Did you understand? You, maybe you understood that already, how important Italian cinema was well, you know, since the you know, a, 60s, 50s, what have you. There's a funny story. Well, you, you, don't, you don't really understand the importance. I, I didn't grow up in a, in a completely cinephile family. We, we loved right. movies, but it was uh, mostly, you know, going to the movies or bigger, you know... In, it's more like uh, moviegoers rather than cinephiles, and so I didn't really uh, grasp until until later on the full importance, let's say. But the funny thing is that for a period of my life, for two years, uh, Fellini, when I was uh, eight, uh, Fellini was my next door neighbor. What? So, <laughs> as an eight-year-old, yes, it's true. So, as an eight-year-old, I uh, I rode uh, many an elevator with uh, Federico Fellini. With the maestro, with the maestro, uh, who to me was just a, a kind, uh, a kind man, a kind gentleman, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, and that was it. He asked me how how's it going, and I said very well, thank you. How was school? Uh, it was really nice, thank you. And and that was <laughs> that was my first contact with the with had the maestro. You, you could have ended up in. Excuse me. You know, he. I said, had you known what. Had you had the foresight of knowing your, your future career, which is is doing fine by anyway, but but you know because he had so what I heard he had a very unusual way where he would just see somebody who he was gra- he gravitated to just by their their appearance or maybe yeah. you know and he would cast them and then he would instruct them like you know down to the you know yeah, to the yeah. beat of what to do and then you know he would redub it anyway or dub the dialogue or re you know he so made it was, say uh, the, he made them say the numbers sometimes oh yeah <laughs> he made them just say one two three four five six seven when yeah they that's an interesting and yeah just yeah that's funny and then he would put in a course later on a sound of wind all the time i'm not sure what that was about but <laughs> It's funny because <laughs> I grew up in Queens, you know, in uh, mm. you know, in New York City. Uh, the parent, the child of two artists who grew, who themselves grew up in New Jersey. Uh, neither one of them cinephiles, but for some reason they went to art school. They met in art school. They moved into New York, and they they you know I was born and and um, they loved Italian cinema. Like they they loved Italy, mm. and my parents would go many many times to Italy. In fact, they would go every summer and spend the summer. They have friends there, and they had a place they would rent out every year. But but I grew up with Italian cinema all the time. They were crazy for Fellini and and Rossellini. And um, um, uh, Antonioni and and De Sica, of course, all the all, all of the uh, the titans, you know. But I grew up with all that, always playing in the house. My father collected all the uh, VHS tapes of all these movies, and he was really into them. Oh, that's nice. So <laughs> I grew up with it. You didn't. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the opposite. 
I was uh, ah. well, well, uh, while you were watching Fellini, I was watching uh, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> yeah, that makes more sense. <laughs> I did too, by the way. But I'm, I'm kind of talking more about my parents. Is I did I too discovered movies. I mean, I was a kid when maybe already a young adult when those movies were coming out, and you're still a kid probably. Mm. But it's interesting. My when I came as a young adult and I was discovering my own cinema on my own, it was in a way around the time of Jarmish and spike and mm-hmm. you know that uh, Allison Anders and and uh you know Susan Seidelman and and uh Hal Hartley all these guys you know um and that was an enormous influence on me the the that wave of independent american independent film right, right. and it apparently had some sort of uh, or at least the, maybe the children of those filmmakers had the an impression on you. I, I, I look at my first kiss and the people involved, and, and I'm, I, I would never, if you hadn't let me know the filmmaker, the you know, if I didn't know it was you, I, I would have just sworn this was an American filmmaker. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely a big, uh, big influence. Plus, you know, m- most of the people involved in, uh, well, uh, involved in making it, uh, were were from the states, or at least uh, we had uh, yes. we had just uh, gone through film school in the states, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we had we had just finished that. So I guess still a still a big uh, still a big influence. Well, there's a sensibility though, you know, and mm. it, there's a sensibility a filmmaker brings to you know their work, and I really just I wouldn't have been able to tell it was a European filmmaker. Because it had, I mean, this this is part of a like a genre of of what I would consider low budge, character driven, you know, filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which you know, I guess maybe this came out of your years at at Columbia, maybe. Yes, yes. No. Plus, so uh, watching, I don't know. I I guess uh, what was I watching? Uh, just in those times, I I was I was watching a mix of things, but um, mm-hmm. I guess there's well. It's a very sweet, you know, it, it could be the very, very sweet child of some Harmony Korean viewings, in my mind, at least. Right. Yeah, a, a less brain-damaged version. of, And I say that with nothing but, you know, respect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the best, best yeah. kind of brain damage. Um, yeah. I don't know, I, I actually, it's funny because uh, I was listening to your podcast um, uh, with... Um, Yes, I was I was listening Ken to Loach. your podcast with uh, with Ken Loach the other day. I didn't have him on. That had to be somebody else's. Uh, I are you sure you don't mean Mike Lee? I know you would. I know you were talking to Mike Lee. Of course, you were talking to Mike Lee. It, maybe it was Mike Lee because we did talk about. I think we did come up. We did talk ah, about but Ken, you mentioned Loach. Ken Loach. Okay, right, right. Yeah, we did. Was, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yes, yes, of course, because yeah, because he had done the the historical movie recently. Um, so anyway. Apart from Mike Lee, uh, I, I was thinking about Ken Loach. Uh, I was yes. uh, I was watching Kiss actually uh, quite a bit before. Yeah, and actually <laughs> I was watching quite a bit of that. I, that was a reference for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else was I watching in those days? I don't know things grainy, grainy stuff for sure. Yes, absolutely. Did you shoot on film? Uh, no, we shot on many. Or DV. you just went... right? Okay, we shot on many DV. We. Uh, we had uh, we had done some tests to shoot in a more um, you know in a in a way that was cleaner and with more uh, up to date cameras let's say but then uh, the the DP and I Giacomo Belletti is the DP and and we we've done quite a few projects and we often use uh, uh, let's say alternative cameras or uh, older cameras that that kind of thing and, yes and we have fun with all the grain and with all the artifacts and that kind of thing so. So uh, right, yes, it definitely feels like it's a reference point too. Yeah, do you know Nathan Silver? Do you know his films? And tell me a few titles. Exit Elena. What else? Uh, he did uh, Soft at the Head, Uncertain Terms. More recently, oh, Uncertain Terms. Yeah, Third Street. Uncertain Terms, but uh, actually, the uh, our main actor. Yes, was... she's she's worked with him. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah, I, I met. Him. I haven't seen them yet. I met, I met them. Is that how I'm supposed to? I'm supposed to say. Uh, pretty sure through Nathan or something. I, I, I mean, your your main actor goes by the name Bobby, or at least was, correct? 
yes, while yes, you were yes, filming. When, when, uh, when we were filming, uh, uh, they, they went by India and, uh, right. But yeah, no, uh, and, and that's probably what, what they're credited as in Nathan Silver's movie. Yes. And now Bobby Salvor Men- Menwes. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, they're great. They're great. It was great working with them. It was, uh, when they, when they entered the, the room, we, we knew, okay, that's really, yeah. How did was that somebody connected you with with uh, with Bobby or um, we, how we, you... we were doing kind of regular auditions um, Kate Murray was the casting director she's the she's the yes. she's the let's say senior casting director at the public theater okay. mm-hmm. and uh, and she was great she brought in a lot of uh, really interesting people because uh, because of the roles and the way we wanted to shoot it we needed people who were you know, who who had uh, something something peculiar about them, something uh, yes, almost otherworldly in a yeah. way. And uh, for for all of the characters, really. And uh, when uh, when Bobby came in, you know, we we just felt that they were the they had a really interesting energy for the role. And in fact, a lot of the the choices that we allowed ourselves to make later on. Uh, like going into a more fairy tale direction and and really going uh, for this kind of this kind of fable. We knew that we could do that also because Bobby was on board, bringing on that kind of fairy taleish energy uh, that, that that they have and that it's obvious as soon as you look at them. And what was their approach, their style? Does Bobby are they interactive on the set? Are they are they uh, uh, social? Collaborative, yes, very. Uh, Bobby, no, very, very collaborative, very, very smart person. Uh, okay. Very, very intuitive. Not a, not a trained actor or someone who will, you know, who will, de- you know, uh, who will do Shakespeare as it's done. But for the, specifically for this kind of role, uh, they inhabited it completely, and they knew better than I did what the character was about. So I was there just to kind of. Uh, kind of direct what moment of the movie we were at uh, emotionally maybe or how much to be closed mm-hmm. in themselves or or more outward outwardly but apart from that they had a very very good sense of of who the character was and and how and how to go about it and uh, you know the 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 only the only uh, let's say um, director trick that I that I did was that we shot the film upstate in this uh, beautiful farmhouse and we were all staying at this motel 15-20 minutes away and Bobby was the only one who was uh, who was staying at the farmhouse who was sleeping at the farmhouse so they could isolate they could that was intentional to create a certain frame of mind for the performance yes Uh, right I see so so it's for those listening it it is a group home it's supposed to be a group home Yes, it's supposed to be a group home for adults who have a certain condition, which is never named, and uh, um, and uh, and we did that on purpose. Mm, and Bobby plays one of the uh, one of the people who's living in this group home, and uh, and who's uh, uh, not only has a certain condition, but she but but she's also struggling to to fit into this group home because she's uh, she. Uh, she lives in a world that is quite cocooned in her own, in a world that she's created that yeah. is quite cocooned and she speaks a language of her own made uh, uh, not of words but of gestures and a certain relationship to the world around her that, that is not not made of words and uh, and a regular language but but a, but a more peculiar one a more sensitive one hmm. it really is trying to provide a window into this character more than almost anything else it's not quite so uh, quite as concerned with some big plot it seems Mm-mm-mm. maybe yeah, you're exactly I, I was i mean there's there's some plot in there of course and it uh, yes there is and it veers into um, in, into mystery but everything serves the purpose of right one of the counselors goes missing yes but even even the plot serves the purpose of uh, giving uh, the character uh, named Sam 
giving her something to uh, to react to let's say and so basically even even the plot is a is a way of activating this character for the in a way that she's never done in her whole life mm-hmm. so yes i'm i'm definitely as you know because you you've seen the film i'm definitely more interested in in being with her and seeing the world how how she would see it and in and in telling this uh, this adventure of hers in a way that is uh, that is very close to her and uh, and by the end of the film i think you you get the feeling that you've spoken her language for for an hour and mm-hmm. 20 minutes or so and uh, the film went through the festival circuit in 2016 and 17 mm-hmm. i think we probably missed each other i was at the 2016 woodstock film festival oh okay so we probably some reason or other missed each other uh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but i'm glad to have finally caught up with the film and for our mutual friend to have put us together that was nice um, but it, we also played at the new orleans film festival which is a wonderful festival and were you at the last were you at the last laugh los angeles film festival i was, was that the last year i think it was the second to last year so oh okay so so it wasn't my fault let's say it was well, no. We can't blame you. Uh, we, we could still blame you, but um, uh, and and then Ashland, the Ashland Independent Film Festival, which I hear great things about. Yeah. So New York, you you haven't screened in New York yet. Yeah, we we played at a couple of. Um, I think we played at the Brooklyn Film Festival, and we played okay. at uh, a nice series that they do in uh, Alphabet City at a place called the Wild Project. Uh, they have this series called. Uh, New York No Limits. It's a, like a gallery plus the, plus screening space. Um, uh-huh. That's a nice one. And then just recently we released the the, the film, and uh, since we had liked that space, we we did it. We did a release screening at that space. So, uh, that was our little New York uh, uh, closing the circle screening to to, to right. finally release it. Because like you said, we did the festival circuit in 2016, and and uh, and it took a while. To, to get it out yep. there, and I'm saying this with some, uh, with some, uh, with, with some pain in my heart because it's, uh, uh, it's kind of hard to to get a movie with, uh, you know, shot on mini DV with an almost silent lead, to, you know, to have distributors, uh, yeah, be jumping at the, or yeah, champing at the bit for it's, it, a, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's hard enough even with a completely. Uh, spoken word narrative type of approach, mm-hmm. let alone a silent yeah. one, uh, you know, where um, dialogue is not the focus. It's true, uh, but I'm sure. But yeah, I, you have to have great patience in, nowadays uh, and let, you know, and hopefully it finds, the, your film finds the, the the right, the authentic path that it's, it's supposed to be on. Yeah. But it's it's not without its frustrations and uh, anxiety, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh, it, it was a. Uh, you know, I was just out of film school, and and it was. Uh, little did I know that I was about to enter a second film school, so to speak. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, that's interesting, right? Because uh, I think you actually probably would have to attend endless film festivals and panels to really try to you know learn firsthand for what it's to get the more full picture in real time. You know. Mm-hmm because things are changing also rather quickly. So even if a film school tries to prepare you for the real world, quote unquote, you know, they're not out there usually. I mean, some people are. Uh, I mean, for instance, the uh, chair, the uh, the film department chair at Columbia is uh, Hillary Brocker, who, who's uh, done this. I don't know if you know Hillary from your time at uh, Columbia. Yes, yes, we, we, we've met. She wasn't one of my teachers, but, but we've met many times. Yeah. Well, she has a film that's uh, been on the film festival circuit this last year called South Mountain. Okay. It's a beautiful film. I, I encourage you to look out for it. Um, and I also just had the uh, lead actor or actress on. I haven't posted it yet. That's going up in the next couple of weeks. But, um, you know, it's a case where I guess Hillary was probably re-educated, even, even you know. Oh, really? Uh well, because if you only put out one film every 10 years and you're mm-hmm. teaching film, I mean, you, you it's hard to uh, know what's really going on yeah. in the film in the film industry. Uh, you know, uh, you're a little bit I don't know, you're you're isolated from that. But if you're if you're out there trying to get a film distributed, 
you know, you, that's yeah. what you just it said. Gets, it's like another graduate degree or something. It gets very, very realistic, very fast. And you have to make decisions uh, that are kind of risky. You don't know. Yeah. Luckily, luckily it was, um, I mean, it was frustrating. I'm not going to hide it to, to, to later spend some, you know, spend such a long time uh, without releasing it. But at the same time, we can consider ourselves lucky because we we made a film that was so small and contained in a way and everyone involved mm -hmm. in it was so uh, helpful and passionate and they they believed in making this this little creature come alive so so we can con consider ourselves lucky that that we had the luxury to make uh, to make something like that also because of everyone's effort and uh, and everyone jumping on board just to, just to make it for the for the love of making something something like that, mm. which is kind of rare. I didn't maybe I didn't know at the time how rare it was, but uh, but I can uh, I can definitely appreciate it now. Uh, well, the, it will the again the name of the film is My First Kiss and the people involved, and we've been speaking to uh, the director Luigi Campi, and yeah. it's available for streaming on Amazon Prime right now. So go check it out. Join Prime, go to Whole Foods, and then watch Luigi Campi's film. It's <laughs> yeah. Turn turn down the lights. You'll be glad. Uh, I recommend it strongly. I think it's a terrific film, and it's it's a, a, a slight eight eighty minutes for Pete's sake. Yes, one hour and twenty minutes. Is it is it? Does that mean you can watch it on Amazon too if you pay, or is it only available on Amazon Prime? Um, I yeah, I think both. I think you can okay. do both. That makes sense. Yeah. Well. I really appreciate uh, your your patience and making this happen, and I look forward to your coming to New York and maybe next time, or maybe I'll come to Rome. Who knows? And yeah, then absolutely. Or, meeting, or, or, or excuse Athens. me, Athens, or Athens, Athens, yeah. Athens. Yeah, absolutely. or Athens. Thank you. I've never that. been. Oh, you've never been to Athens? No, it's. Uh, I have to say, I've been uh, through most of Europe, but not not Greece, and I re re regret that. Great country. Maybe. Maybe for love, I'll come to. Maybe yeah, that'll be fall my... in love. Come to Greece. <laughs> That's uh, there. You go. You could be the spokesperson <laughs> for <laughs> for the country, for the country's travel uh, board or what have you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank I look you, forward to you, meeting you. Thank and you for the time, we'll... and uh, it was yeah. good to chat. And thanks for for giving us this uh, this uh, this space on the podcast. Oh, sure. My pleasure. Anytime. We'll do it again. Okay. Let's. All right. Take care. Take care, Adam. Thanks. been on the show bunches of oh so many times i'm always glad to bring sam pollard one of my favorite documentary filmmakers he's got a of course a history as an editor he has done um very accomplished and very prolific i might add he uh, just in the last few years alone he's come on and uh, talked about a number of his documentaries including two trains running uh, sammy davis a junior i gotta be me another documentary called Acorn in the Firestorm and his uh, docu documentary about Maynard Jackson. So he's he's just been putting out a lot of stuff, and he's got a bunch more stuff, uh, and he's going to talk about it. But currently, the uh, film that is uh, or project that we are covering is indeed on HBO. It is a five-part series called Atlanta's Missing and Murdered: The Lost Children. Between 1979 to 1981, at least 30. 30 African-American children and young adults disappeared or were murdered in Atlanta. Although 23-year-old Wayne Williams was prosecuted for two of the crimes, the rest of the cases were ultimately closed uh, following his conviction in 1982. Forty years later, with the official reopening of the case by Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, this five-part docu-series tells the inside story of the shocking tragedy, shedding new light on the horrific killings through exclusively... Uh, through exclusive archival footage, unseen court documents, and interviews 
with those closest to the children and investigation. Uh, this is my conversation with a returning Sam Pollard here only on Film Wax Radio. The surveillance on the bridge was covert. I remember sitting in the car, the radio squelch broke, and I heard something about a splash. It was three in the morning. They looked up on the bridge and they can see headlights. They had pulled someone over. I said, do you know why we pulled you over? And he goes, yeah, it's got something to do with those missing kids. July 29th, 1979, police find the badly decomposed bodies of two teenagers. Next thing you know, another body. It didn't become the story it should have been until there were nine young people who were dead. Black children were missing. But missing since missing. 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 Okay, now this, this is going to get bad. The killings accelerated in pace. Kids are disappearing once a month. Maynard Jackson went up to the White House and said, I want every living FBI agent on the planet in Atlanta. It had to be somebody the kids knew and trusted. He was the connection. Who is this guy, Wayne Williams? We found the killer, and that's it. But that really wasn't it. You had people saying that this has to be the Klan, or this has to be some crooked cop, but nobody really knew anything. They didn't follow those leads. They chose Wayne. This could have turned into a riot because people were that angry. Elected officials did not want this case to go on. The families never had any closure. We have begun going through evidence to see if there's anything that was never tested. We have an obligation to ensure that every investigative lead is followed. I want to know who killed Curtis. I'm not going to stop because I'm a warrior. This vulnerability that at any moment you could be stolen. We come from stolen people. That's deep in our psyche. Do what should have been done. Solve the cases. It's one of those memories you have of Atlanta. You really wish you didn't have it. I hit record. Me too. Very good. All right. Ask away. Ask away. All right. So I will... You're, we're doing this audio, so I'm going to just uh, do the. There we go. Okay. Well, let's let's find out how how you're doing. Um, you're you're in your. Uh, uh, are you in, in Manhattan in your an apartment, or did you get out of the city with your family? No, I'm in my apartment in the village on Bleecker Street, right? Mercer and LaGuardia. <clears throat> uh-huh. Been hunkered down for about what six weeks now. Uh huh. Yeah. Five Is that and the? Half weeks, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. It's, uh, uh, is, is there anybody in the family who has not left the apartment? Or do no, people we, kind of... We, we, you know, it's my wife and my two daughters. We get out shopping. Uh, I went and did some shopping today, and then I come back in. They go out and do some shopping. My, my, my oldest daughter's working, so she goes mm-hmm. to work every once in a while, you know. Mm-hmm. So we get out. Mm-hmm. I have a, uh, you know, like my son, who's uh, very good, it turns out, in in hunkering down. <laughs> he's just sort of a, I guess he's like an inside type of kid, you know. He's, uh, yeah. seems to handle it better than I do. <laughs> right. Anyway. That's yeah. what it is, man. That's what, we're, that's what we're in. This is sort of the new normal. Mm. So one thing we can talk about, of course, is the uh, the HBO series. Sure. Because you know people can actually use some of their time, that you know, uh, and watch it while while they are sheltering rather in. So, um, and it's uh, you you. Uh, yeah, I co directed. I the Atlanta's co- missing and murdered. Missing and murdered. I co directed the first two episodes with Mara Chamayo from her company Show Force. We started about eighteen, nineteen months ago, production, pre-production, and production, and we finished uh, about a month ago. And, you know, it's the fourth episode pre- premiered on HBO last night. And there's one more to go. There's five episodes. And uh, it was really, really very good experience. I mean, it was also a really rich and complicated story to dig into looking at these murders and who may or may not have done it. Was it Wayne Williams? Was it someone else? And we cover lots of bases on this, on this this in this series, which I think no other series, no other show has ever done on, on the Atlanta's missing and murdered children. No, maybe the closest was your own documentary on Maynard Jackson, the first African-American mayor of Atlanta. Yeah, but I only did about, in the, in the Maynard doc, I only did about five minutes. Was that this, all it was? 
that's all about. It's, that segment alone is only about five minutes in the whole film. So this was, uh, you know, they had seen one of their one of the people at the company, Josh Bennett, had seen that film at the uh, Full Frame Documentary Festival, and he was really taken with that segment. And he's he's the one who said maybe this should be explored in a much more comprehensive way. I see. So he went back to his company, Show Force. It's owned by Marl Chimayoff and Jeff Dupree and pitched it and they all went for it and they put together a huge proposal, really very substantial proposal that we then pitched to HBO in the summer of 2018 because we had all done previous work with HBO and they gave us a green light. Mm. And we started shooting. We started going down to Atlanta in January of 2019 and we spent the next seven months, eight months down there shooting at the same time as we were editing. And, you know, it was, uh, it was, you know, what's amazing is that we were able to do all these f- these five hours within that short span of 18, 19 months, which is pretty much unheard of for a series of this, this magnitude in such, short, in such a short length of time. Yeah, there's so many um, people that you guys uh, interviewed and are involved yeah. You know, it just seems like an enormous undertaking. Maybe it's just are our, 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 uh, the majority of the people still in Atlanta? Is that does that maybe one reason why it wasn't as quite as challenging? Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly right. It was every pretty much except for maybe one or two exceptions. Everybody we interviewed was in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody. Right. Exactly. That really helped to just sort of keep us on schedule and getting things you know executed. Yeah. Why did why did you just uh, opt to direct the first two? It's a four part series. Well, because the company there was four directors, and we want to we want to share. You know, we want to share okay. the share the resources. So uh-huh. initially, Mara and I could have done she could have done one, and I could have done one. She could have done two. I could have done two. But we decided since we've known each other so long, and we basically had the same sort of creative mindset that we could work together, which we did. It was it was really good working with her. Uh-huh. And then Josh did three. Then Josh and Jeff did co-directed four, and then Jeff did five. So it, it worked out. And, you know, we all looked at each other's shows and critiqued each other's uh, segments. So it was a very effective working relationship. Mm-hmm. Were there any hurdles? I mean, was is there? I mean, it seems like contemporary Atlanta is still very much uh, behind the putting out the story, you know, and of, of sort of owning it and um, not trying to, you know. Uh, hide it or minimize it at least because it's it, it's a part of a what some might say is a tainted part of Atlanta's history right I yeah mean, they don't they don't they don't they're not running away from it I think the the challenge is is that you know many people particularly in the in the black community don't feel that Wayne was the killer or he didn't kill all the children uh-huh. so that's all that's always been at the forefront of many of those people's minds and uh you know, we would talk to many people while we were out in the streets, maybe walking to a lo- driving to a location or going to a restaurant. And everybody, even if they didn't live there, they knew about the Atlanta child murders, that period, that infamous period in Atlanta's history. Everybody had an opinion. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like it's a, it is a tainted part of the history, but it's something that the people have not. I wouldn't say they've run away from, you know, but they, they still deal. They're still dealing with it, as mm-hmm. you can see with the mayor and her administration. Right. And we, uh, what was was it the fortieth anniversary? Uh, what was it that motivated the uh, recent? I don't think so much it was the anniversary. I think it was the fact that uh, some of the parents, like Catherine Leach, one of the mothers of the victims, was really holding the, the administration's feet to the fire, wanted some answers, wanted him to reopen the case and look at the cases again. And I think she, that she had support from other mothers other relatives of the victims who really wanted the mayor to do something. If not finding out who the real killer is, but to then at least memorialize what happened to these 40 young people. So people will always remember. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's um, interesting timing since it was not long before. It was happening when you were just around the time you and the, I guess the team were uh, down there. Yeah, it was that was that was the really fascinating thing that we're down there like a month into shooting, and all of a sudden we hear that the mayor is having a press conference, and we get a crew together and we run over there and we we document that, and that became sort of, you know, we didn't know at the time that sort of became the beginning of the movie, as you could see, it became the way to introduce the film. Yeah.
Um, before I, I mentioned it was a four-part series, I apologize, it's a five-part series. Five-part series, yes. Yeah. What has the community uh, response been to the series? Or so did you, or you, did you screen it for anybody prior to uh, the HBO premiere? Or Well, initially we were going to go down and show the, 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 the families of the victims. We were going to have a special screening for them, but the COVID thing, you know, had, got all screenings canceled, you know. Yeah. We were supposed to do a big premiere screening over at uh, Hudson Yards at HBO. Got canceled. So everything got canceled because we had planned to do screenings. Mm-hmm. But, you know, all of a sudden when the, this pandemic hit, everything stopped. But the reaction that we've, we've, we've heard from family members has been very positive so far. You know, very positive. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's uh, currently available, uh, right? All five parts? Uh, all four parts are available on HBO Go and HBO Now. The, I know, see. What they, they, don't, they, don't, they won't make the other part available until it shows, until it screens next Sunday. Okay, so uh, I, I got you. So actually, by the time this goes up, it might be the case where all five will up. Yeah. I have to figure that out. Yeah. I have to figure that out. Okay, yeah, no wonder I... That's, that's why I thought it was... I thought it was four parts uh, because I'd only saw the four that were uh, currently available on my, my own subscription, so... Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's amazing. The And just um, uh, so many of the uh, people of that community are still around, still incredibly um, committed to getting this story told. And, and you just see, like, in their faces uh, that they've had to live with this, you know, and, and, and in many cases, right, there have not been any resolution. And I just can't imagine going through so many years with that. Oh, it's painful. You're a parent. Obviously, it's, you know how painful it is for these parents to have yeah. to really know who might have killed their loved one. It's very I, painful, yeah. emotional. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So you were down there for how long in Atlanta? Well, the whole crew, we were down there off and on from January 2019 through like September of 2019. Wow. That's amazing how quickly this came together then. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's fast. I've never had a doc happen that fast. <laughs> Is not, H- not, not a series. Right. It's just everything was on steroids. <laughs> in a way, yeah. <laughs> So that is, again, that's called the uh, Lana's Missing and Murdered, The Lost Children. Uh, that's right. And uh, it's a five-part series. It's currently, at least four parts anyway, are, as I, we speak, are, are available for viewing. I think each one is about a 45-minute running time. Well, each one's about 52 minutes. Don't correct me on my own podcast, please. That's uh... <laughs> You don't want to say 45 minutes, but you'll be you got to go back and say it yourself, 45 minutes. Okay. I mean, 52 minutes. <laughs> It's it's almost like it's structured for commercial television in the length of it. But it, anyway, it's, yeah, it's, well, it's getting it's more enough. like that. Yeah, but you've been quite busy. Regardless, are you still managing to work on projects while sheltered in there, or are you uh, taking a uh, time off? No, I mean you know, I've been working on uh, another film that I'm finishing up for HBO about black visual artists, and sculptors, and painters. That I started around the same, a little few months after we we was into Atlanta child murders, and I'm wrapping that up now as we speak. You know, and that I don't know when that's going to come out for HBO, but we're close to trying to wrap that up. Mm-hmm. And then I'm doing another doc that I'm in the middle of editing called Martin Luther King and the FBI about uh, the FBI and J. Edgar Hoover and how they surveilled King. Yes, up until, right. you know, for many years, and this is a really complex storytelling looking at both. MLK and J. Edgar Hoover and who these men were and J. Edgar Hoover's obsession with, you know, dethroning King as he thought King was too big for his britches. Oh, sure, sure. The idea would be to sabotage, right, everything by pointing out that he was, might have been flawed person by, by uh, eavesdropping on his and surveying his private conversations or private moments. Is that, was, is that... Um, is that a touchy kind of uh, topic? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's controversial just in of itself. But is there a sense of very, very, you know, stealth kind of protection over King's reputation? I mean, everybody knows about these recordings and that they've been out and they supposedly show King in less than optimal light, correct? So, yeah. Um, sure. Uh, is, is there a sense of, like I say, a, a protectiveness uh, out there? People 
you know, or, or wouldn't want him King portrayed in anything other than a, you know much more positive and. Uh, well, I think that I think that's I think preserve to preserve his you know his uh, legacy. I think that's one of the questions we raise in this doc. Okay. You know, will will I mean at the end of we t- after after we get to the telling of the story, what is the value of releasing these tapes and mm-hmm. you know who will it will it will it hurt King's legacy and his reputation or, or, or won't it hurt him? Mm-hmm. You know, it's an interesting dilemma because on one level, you know, you want somebody to. You want people to, it's history, right? Part of history, being responsible to history is telling the truth. As, and, and, and sometimes that the truth does uh, change over time because you find out more information or you find out that there's been misinformation out there that's been corrected. So, you know, things do evolve. On the other hand, I suppose you also want to preserve somebody's legacy, somebody who means so much to some, you know. Well, I think that's the question that has to be raised. I mean, we, yeah. we, we're definitely exploring the fact that he was not, a, you know, he was not a, a faithful husband, mm-hmm. that he had affairs with other women, that he, you know, that he was shepherded by a gentleman who had been a member of the Communist Party. All of these things were, you know, as far as David Hoover was concerned, these were horrific things. I mean, how could he be associated with somebody with the Communist Party? You know, how could he be a man of cloth and to be fornicating with other women other than his wife? <coughs> and Hoover hopes that by having this stuff explored. Hello? Yeah, just the siren. Oh, thank the siren you. Go mm-hmm. by. Yeah, if only. Uh, yeah, I'm just letting it go by. I appreciate it. It, it, it. Somehow they make their way onto almost every episode, one way or another, anyway. So. Mm-hmm. And I think I think Hoover was hoping that you know by by leaking to the press that they would come out and say, "Look at King, he's you know he's not such hypocrite. a yeah. you know he's a hypocrite." But mm-hmm. the press was a very different press than it is today. Right? You know, they weren't they weren't revealing sort of the 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 the, the, the shadowy side of some of our supposed heroes. I mean, be it JFK, be it Martin Luther King, you know, they weren't doing that. Today they probably would have done it, but who knows? They didn't do it back then, right? And but today we're also much more nonplussed. But uh... yeah, so the question—I mean, I think it's one of the questions this doc will raise. Mm-hmm. You know, what will this do to King's legacy if it does anything at all? I, I gotta believe that, given that we're operating in today's climate, that that it, it probably won't have that great of an impact. But and that's just—you never know. My, yeah. yeah, my little opinion for what it's worth. Yeah, and so, so and that, yeah. Go ahead. So we're hoping to get that done by the summer, and who knows where we? You know, initially we saw this as theatrical, but who knows now with the climate? I don't think there's going to be many theatricals for documentaries in in 2020. So mm. who knows? You know. Yeah. Well, I guess you you could look at it. I guess you got to be open to whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, nobody really has an answer to that question right no, now. Not at all. Not is that a level? Is that a, uh, a point of anxiety for you as a documentary filmmaker? No, <laughs> because, <laughs> because, because you know, to be honestly, honest, honestly, mm-hmm. most of my films don't do theatricals anyway. They mm-hmm. usually go on either you know PBS or HBO or Netflix or Amazon. So you know, I'm not, I'm not like right. you know saying, oh, it's got to be a theatrical. I just think we figure it out, you know, and we'll figure out how to get it out there for people to see. Yeah. So. Yeah, you're in a select uh, group of, of documentary filmmakers, you know, that uh, has the for- uh, good fortune of being able to uh, broadcast. Um, I'm not saying it's just a, uh automatic thing. I'm sure you have to take into account as you're developing the concept for the film, you know, that that is a, I imagine that that is a strong, possibility at least right that yeah. you'll be able to broadcast it just going into it and raising the money yeah yeah this one we saw as a theatrical i mean the martin luther king one we both ben hadeen who i did two trains with we saw it as a theatrical but who knows what'll happen now with the climate that we're living in yeah sure 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 but uh, so because king was uh so broadly known that the audience would be out there for a theatrical exactly exactly <laughs> I don't know. I'm guessing all this stuff no, based on right. yeah. Because King is still iconic. I mean, of course, know, he's, he's not a name that people, young people, don't know. Everybody knows his name. Yeah, 
Yeah. It it doesn't, um, yeah, never fails that uh, on the birthday every year that, you know, that these words and these moments crystallize in some new way, you know, or have just as great an impact as ever. Because it's always, unfortunately, some horrible thing going on in the world that, you know, where he's still so relevant and his message yeah, is still so, so incredibly relevant, you know. Exactly. So, exactly, Adam. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. Not to say that Sammy Davis Jr.'s message isn't. Oh, that film. I mean, you know, <laughs> frankly, I was talking to Michael Cantor, the executive producer of American Masters, and that Sammy Davis Jr. film has really had some very strong legs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been using it to fundraise. It's going to be it's going to be re, re, re-televised on American Masters in May. You know, it's a very popular film. One of the most popular docs I ever did. Well, you know, when I saw it, I was really, I think, impressed. Uh, uh, first of all, just in terms of, you know, the, um, just the production itself, but... Um, also, just so much I didn't know about him, you know, um, I know. and and how much I learned about him. Uh, it, there was really, you know, there there was enough there easily for a five part series too. Uh, I mean, the different chapters of his life uh, were in of themselves. If, you know, each one is like its own story and or movie, so uh, or documentary. You know, um, I thought the uh, I was just telling somebody the other day, in fact, about that uh, section where, you know, he was starting to kind of break out on his own as a very, very young entertainer. And he could do these incredible impressions. And he he would he went on the stage, he would start doing like, uh, you know, was Jimmy Stewart or uh, Jimmy Cagney, I can't remember who. And then his and he was part of that act with his father and his uncle, and he got off the stage and they uh, told him in, the, in no uncertain terms not to be doing impressions of white uh, celebrities, you know, that that was too dangerous in terms of some of their venues. That's right. Back then, it wasn't, it wasn't a wonderful thing to be entertaining a white man. But do you see, the, that was a different world. Yeah. Yeah. Very different world. Yeah. Um, so uh, are you able to... Uh, are you able to uh, find time to watch other stuff that's out there? Uh, or since you're, you're, I've been watching everything, man. Yeah. From t- Tiger, <laughs> oh, Tiger no. King, Tiger King to uh-huh. Cheer. To what? To cheer. It was a. Did you see Cheer on Netflix? A documentary about these these cheerleaders in Texas. Oh no, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's really that's a good series, man. Oh, good. Which, I'm looking well, for. Well done. Well done. So mm-hmm. I watched that. You know, I, I even started watching Ozark, which I hadn't seen. I watched the first season, and then there was uh, that's my, gotten a lot of uh, uh, yeah, you know social yeah. media buzz again because I guess you know people are so desperate for something yeah. escapist stuff like that that it's uh, you know they're making the time for something like that. Which yeah, I watched the last so the last episode of Homeland last night. Mm-hmm. My ex wife is on that was on the bunch of those episodes. What is she, what's her name? Karen Pittman. Was she, who does she play? That's a good question now. I gotta, Karen hold on. Pitt. She was in the, all the one that were filmed like in um, uh, Morocco or something. Let me see. I've just, cause she, she had to travel to Africa uh, like last year to shoot a bunch. Of, she was in one arc. Um, just Google her and you'll see who I'm talking about. But uh, uh, I see her, but I'm trying, who's, who is she? Karen, let me see. This is, she's now this? on a series, and she's in LA because she's on a series on this Apple series um, with um, uh, uh, Reese Witherspoon. And uh, what's how she spell her first name? Yeah, traditional K A K A R E N. You sure she's in Homeland? I'm looking. Is this is your wife your ex wife black? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see it. I don't see any Homeland thing in her name. I thought that was the show she was on. Hold on. I hate. I yeah. see Yellowstone. The no, she's show. in the Homeland. Yeah. Where? Where? I don't see it. Vanessa Kroll is her name for her character. What? Wait yeah. a second. Am I looking at the right Karen Pittman? Was she born in Mississippi? Yes. I'm looking on IMDb Pro, so I may be. No, I'm kidding. This is uh, Hold this on. regular I'm, IMDb. I'm on IMDb right now. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Homeland. She was on. Uh, let's see. I'm looking here. At least three episodes. Vanessa Kroll. Who was she in the episode? Who was she? You know, I, I've not watched it. I think I have oh, to take it. Oh, she was. She was the FBI agent. Yeah. She's playing the FBI agent who interviews Carrie Madison. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I recognize her now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know who she is. Oh, this is your ex, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. nice, man, nice. Well, I, I, may be, I may be leaving New York, so after all this, I don't know if I have it in me to do another uh, quarantine in New York if we're going to go through this again. Yeah. I have to be we, honest with you, especially... Where is, she, where is she now? She's there. She's in L.A. right now. She was, uh, they postponed, I mean, they put out the, that series that she's on. Um, Yellowstone? No, no. It's, uh, it's called, um, The Morning Show, it's called. She's, uh, she's, she's in the, you know, she's got a pretty big role on that show. It's with Jennifer Aniston and... Um, yeah, I know. Steve uh, Carell, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Billy Crudup yeah. and, uh, yeah. So they were on uh, shooting the second season and then um, obviously they were put on hiatus and I think the plan is to go back to it next month and uh, finish the second season and then we'll, I guess, you know, they, she feels pretty confident that the show's going to go on. Okay. Given the cast, given the cast alone, I guess, you know, they're probably, mm-hmm. you know, they probably, um, that's probably a likely thing. And uh, so she's out there and, um, you know, she would, she wants the kids, uh, you know, Jacob has a half sister uh, whose dad is also an, who's an actor. So um, it may make sense. I don't know. Anyway, it's all, it's all up in the air. So, and I'm, my only thing is my mom is still here. She's, uh, you know, in, um, so is Jacob from her, from you, was you, were you her first husband? Yeah, first yeah. and only, yeah, yeah. She oh, uh, yeah. had a child subsequently, but uh, yeah. And they all lived together, I mean, Karen with the two kids, typically. But once the series started, she's spending half the year, like, in L.A. now. So it just changes kind of everything. So uh, the idea was that uh, at some point, very soon, as soon as we feel it's safe enough, well, Jacob can... Um, you know, she she would love to have them because she hasn't seen them in so long and had to go through this entire, you know, uh, pandemic oh. without without her kids. You know, it's it's. Uh, yeah. Well, where's the other kid in New York too? Or? Yeah, yeah, she's in Brooklyn as well, um, and her her dad and um, oh. you know, yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, that's the complex, it's the complex world. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. Especially as you become like, find, oh, I'm friends with this other ex, you know, because our kids are siblings. So you sort of, you never yeah. know where life is going to take you. But it's, it's all that's good. Right. It's all good. And yeah. and he's an actor too. Yes. So uh, I think that the, they may be actually open to, uh, uh, maybe relocating as well. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm speaking ahead of myself. But yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. But anyway, that's the situation. I don't know. I don't know. I've got a lot, a lot, a lot of things to think about. I guess. But uh, you do, man. How did? How did? Oh, so you were talking about? The, oh, that's right. We got off this because of the homeland. I was trying to, trying to yeah. navigate my way back to our original, uh, original yeah, conversation. I, I watched Home. the last episode. I watched all the season of Homeland. I watched the last oh episode God. last night. So you, you yeah. obviously have been watching it all along. Yeah, there was one season I missed, but then I came back two seasons ago, so I watched the season before last and this season. I thought the I thought the ending was kind of weak, but you mm-hmm. know, it was too neat. But it's okay. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. But you yeah. know, I've been watching that. I've been watching Westworld because I only started watching Westworld because it comes on right after Land is Missing and Murdered. So that's what's got me to watch. Oh, that. right, right, right. You're the yeah. lead in. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure always to be on the show. Thank you. Take care, Sam.
Thank you, everybody. We'll be back in a few days with a brand new episode of the podcast. Please tune in. We have uh, the actor Yolanda Ross, who is on a, a series called The Shy. Uh, she's also in a, a new film that's available called Bull. So we'll have her on the next episode. Dan Salit returns some 580 episodes later with his latest film. It's called 14. I'm excited to play that for you. We also have on, as I mentioned earlier, Mark Cousins, who has made countless nonfiction films from Scotland. And we have, of course, Frank Santo Padre, ready to go, the co-host of the Gilbert Gottfried podcast, and much more coming up only here on Film Wax Radio. Keep on tuning in, folks, and uh, we'll see you around. Take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Broken idols, broken heads.